to introduce a good speaker today named Jimmy Kay. I feel like I'm house Charlie. We've got many people here tonight. My name is Jimmy. I'm a recovered addict. I always like to be at a meeting where we have some sharp pitches because it gives me one more time to see the variety of ideas that people have about what NA is. We all seem to have our own particular opinion of what the program is and how it applies to ourselves. And I think that's one of the marvelous things about the program. Because I said many years ago that this was a self-adjusting program. Because I found out that it fitted me exactly where I needed to be fitted, and I had to alter myself very little to make it work. There was something like that that I needed. But there are various ways that people have of looking at our program who don't understand it. I got a letter a couple of years ago from one of the emerging African states from a young lady who wrote pretty good English and she said, my name is, I think it was Tisa, and she said, I saw in a magazine down here a mention of Narcotics Anonymous and I knew I had to get in touch with you right away. Well, I read that far, and I thought, hey, this is great. My God, we're going to get a meeting going down in the center of Africa, and maybe we'll really get going. We couldn't be going in Cape Town years ago. Of course, we're going now. But uh, I thought this would be great. But as I continued to read the letter, I found out her idea of what NA was and my idea were entirely different. Because she went on to say that uh, I've got to get in touch with your boss. <laughs> Have I got a deal? <laughs> this will make us all more money than we ever dreamed about. Please put me in touch with the Mafia in the United States so that we can get together and start moving. <laughs> and I guess a lot of people still think that's what narcotics and none of this is all about. But of course, we who are in the fellowship, whether it's for a day, a month, a year or more, know that the steps that make it what it is are peculiarly suited to the addict. It took me a long while to realize what I'm going to tell you. But I found out that the reason it works for us is because it's natural for addicts to live this way. We don't have to really uh, hustle much with the steps. They're suggested that we do them our own way in our own good time as we understand it. Yeah? And if you don't think that's quite so from all the things you've heard, just examine your own use of the steps and see if it doesn't fit that way. Because when I first came to this program, I was ready for it. I had been ready for years. And everything I had tried had gone down the drain. Nothing worked. 
because I wanted it to work for me. I wanted it to be done for me. And I had been studying and reading philosophies and metaphysics for 35 years. At the time I was five years old when I started to read, trying to find something in this life that fitted me because I always felt alienated and alone. <clears throat> society never spurned me. I told society to go to hell. I wanted nothing to do with it, including my own family. Yeah? I was an individual. I didn't need you. I didn't need anybody. I was going to make it on my own. <clears throat> and you know where that got me? Got me the doors of AA first because Narcotics Anonymous hadn't been started as yet. In that fellowship, I began to learn how different I was, even from the other people who I associated with there. It turned out that after three or four months, the people that I had cottoned to a little bit, turned out that they were all addicts also in AA and they were keeping their mouth shut about their addiction other than to alcohol. So you see, we seek each other out unknowingly half the time because we have many things in common. And I learned that I had to, I had to, I say. I had to take these things seriously that I heard. And when somebody told me that the newcomer was the most important person at a meeting, I took it seriously because that's the way I wanted it to be. And that's the way I would like to see it entirely in Narcotics Anonymous that the newcomer is the most important person at any meeting, no matter what else is going on. Because without the newcomer, we would all die. And I know that better than most, because I've seen our fellowship come to the brink of nothingness three different times, and once within the last six years again. A lot of people don't know that. This is the first time I've ever mentioned it. We can die out if we don't give of ourselves to the newcomer, if we don't provide literature through the World Service Office and the regional committees throughout this country, Canada, Australia, and Europe, and we're now into Great Britain, my home area, you know. Just talked to another Englishman here. I'm not English. I'm Scott, Scotch-Irish. Dr. Spanish, Dr. Englishman here from the British Isles, you know. That's where I first started to drink, and that's where I first started to use. Seven years old, I was feeling paranoid, you know. Kids generally don't do that, at least not there in my time, you know. <coughs> Although I got news for you, there were more addicts in Great Britain in 1910, 1911 than there are today. <laughs> because you could get it any time you turned around. Anywhere you wanted it, you could get whatever you wanted. I had no difficulty finding paragoric because the mothers would all send me down to the chemists to get it. And you know, I case everything anyway, and I used to always know where they kept it. And I just hoped that the kids didn't have too much colic that would all be gone when I went visiting. You know, seven years old, right? And I was always afraid of drugs. Because I heard all those stories that were so intriguing, you know, and I read them all the time. We kid about it, we laugh about it now. But in those days when I was growing up, you know, it was a story about the opium smokers, you know. And then I read things about the American Indians and the peyote, you know. 
And all of these things just intrigued me when I was a kid. And yet I didn't want to come to the United States. I really did. I'm not too sure yet whether I'm sorry I'm here. Right? I would rather be in Australia, where I wanted to go, where some of my buddies went. But, uh, but I arrived here anyway. This is where I landed. And I came through at that particular time, that beautiful place of entrance into the United States that is no longer in operation, thank God, Ellis Island. You know. And that was a terrorizing experience, <laughs> if ever there was one especially when I was trying to take care of three younger brothers. And my mother and my sister were in the, in the hospital. And we didn't know whether we were going to get ashore or be shipped back. Yeah. That's I made one of my first friends was in Ellis Island. And he was a white pressure who came to me when I was so confused, so frustrated, because nobody spoke English on Ellis Island. But I was there. And he came and he said, son, what's the matter? And I said, you speak English? He said, yes. And I told him exactly what was the matter, you know. Trying to take care of brothers. I don't know where my mother is. She was sick. I don't know where my father is. I'm 12 and a half years old. And I don't know what the hell's going on. And I thought, nobody spoke my language. And I spoke English, you know. That's the way it used to be there. And he helped me. But they shipped him back to Russia. He, his wife, and his two children. And I went to school for two days with his son in Ellis Island. Fear was mentioned several times earlier. And I haven't been afraid, really afraid, about the unnatural fears for so long that I had to think for a while. And that's what came to me while I was sitting there. I was afraid, terribly afraid, and yet I knew the United States was something wonderful, something beautiful, because I had met a lot of Americans as a kid. But if this was what it was going to be like, I was completely terrified, you know. And if it hadn't been for that Russian, I don't know what might have happened. Because you know? I used to sit and look across the roof to Bedloe's Island and look at the Statue of Liberty. You know? And I knew completely by heart what was written on the bottom of the Statue of Liberty. I knew it then. And I wondered, and I used to think, do they mean what they say? <coughs> Is this what they mean? You know, sometimes today I have to ask myself that again. Is this what we mean? Yes. Because I'm inclined to take certain political views myself and certain metaphysical views of things. And uh, a lot of the time I'm wrong. You know? I was sitting this morning in the barber shop, and uh, most of the people in there were as old as I or older. And those old fogies I don't hang around with them most of the time anyway, you know. And uh, they were talking about all those things that are of interest to our population, you know. What do you think of the president, you know? And how about the tax situation? And how about these mechanics that rip you off every time you have to get your car fixed, you know? And all those very interesting things, you know, that I'm glad I forgot about, you know? <laughs> that was what used to bore me to death with these bastards, you know? All they talked about was their job, their money, their house, their swimming pool, their wife, their girlfriend, and their car. And I could care less most of the time. I was never into that stuff anyway, you know, including the girls. I wasn't that much interested in it. But uh, that has changed, too. <laughs> 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 now I'll just have to look, though. <laughs>
because I'm married to a very wonderful woman who was on this program, and uh, and we have our ups and downs. That's true. But I love her very deeply, and I, I hope it's reciprocated. I believe it is, and we go along just fine because we have a program. We've got a program that teaches us how to get along with ourselves, and then enables us to get along with each other. Okay? And that, I think, is what primarily this program is to me. Uh, I'm going to say something, probably a few of you will think I'm crazy, you know. But it is so goddamn easy to stay clean. It is so damn easy. Somebody said it earlier. All you got to do is just stop using on a continual basis. You don't use on a continual basis, and you're going to get clean. The hard part is trying to live clean with all the things that come up in the normal course of the day. Somebody mentioned there's going to be a dynamite speaker, and I looked around, and I realized it was me, and I thought maybe they were going to blow me up. <laughs> the way things were going. <laughs> but the program is a very simple thing, and we do complicate it. Hey, God, uh, where did he go? He didn't leave already, did he? Hey, you sitting out in that other room? Come on in here, Jose. Hey, hey he brought up about his, uh, his concept of God, that it's giving him a lot of trouble, you know? I had that kind of trouble all my life while I was using it when I wasn't, until I came to the program. And after I came to the program for a while, I realized how stupid I had been all my life, you know? How completely stupid I had been, you know? I didn't have to worry about any God concepts. If there was a power at all that understood me, was going to take care of me, whether I could take care of myself or not, and I believe in nature, and I believe in nature's gods, whatever they are. But also I know that after I've been on the program for a while, I hit a series of very serious things happening in my life. And it got to the point that I thought I was at the point of no return and I might go back again. And that really scared the hell out of me. And one night I heard a voice that became my higher power. <coughs> I only once in a while mentioned it on a one-to-one -one basis, and that only on occasion. But in that particular time, I was told what to do by that voice. <coughs> and I do it knew me completely and thoroughly inside and out because it called me by a name that nobody would dare call me, and I knew it knew me inside out because it called me a shyster. <laughs> and if you've ever been in Philadelphia or met a Philadelphia lawyer, that is where the best shysters are. And that is my hometown. And a shyster lawyer is a person who's going to win no matter what the cost, no matter what he has to do, legal, illegal, up, down, inside out. Makes no difference. He's going to have his wit. And I knew wherever that voice was coming from, it knew me completely and wholeheartedly. And they told me to do only one thing right after that. I said, stick with the boys. Stick with the man. And that's our program, too. Men stick with the men and the girls stick with the girls. And that's where we can help each other. And they told me a few other things that I'm not going to mention. But uh, that might have been a very, very small thing. But it was my awakening to the fact that I no longer had to be afraid because that was the first thing I was told. 
and my fear left me. And for 24 hours, I knew complete and absolute serenity. And I got news for you, I haven't had it since. <laughs> but I've never forgotten one iota of what happened, both the visual and the auditory parts of that experience. And I think that's what we're all looking for. There are many things I could say about the program, how it works, the ramifications of it, how I see it, because that's the only part of it I know, except the parts that others have told me. Chuck and I, Frank and I, Doug and I have shared many things together at the level of two men speaking about those things that are serious and yet those things that are important in our life so that we can improve and grow to become the kind of citizens, husbands, fathers, brothers, and sisters to each other that we should be, that we ought to be, perhaps, is a better way to say it. Okay. We certainly are a family, I'll tell you that, because we fight like cats and dogs at times, you know. <laughs> Once the politics get rolling, and then there is and elsewhere, we can really get into jackpots with each other, you know. But see, this is the value of the program of 12 steps and the tradition that we have to guide us. But we can always square it away. I don't get into those deep depressions I used to get into that would last for three, four months. If I'm depressed for 15 minutes now, I'm telling you, I just go out of my mind. I've got to do something and square it away and get, it, get rid of it, get squared off, and let's, let's get on and get doing something. You know? All day today, I was like Chuck. I said, what the hell am I going to talk about when I get over there tonight? I've got nothing they're interested in talking about. I get up there and mouth off a lot of things about myself that they're not the least bit interested in. You know? I really don't want to go over there and talk to them. I'd rather go over and listen to somebody. You know? And about 15 minutes before I left the house, the phone rang in the office. And there's a guy on the phone. He says, is this the hotline? And I said, no, this is the World Service office, but we'll make it the hotline right now. <laughs> and we talked for about 10 minutes, and uh, if I can get my breath a couple of minutes, I can roll now, you know, I really roll. Because he gave me all the things I needed, again. A newcomer, he's worried, he's doubtful, he's not sure whether he wants to or he don't want to now. Stuff is not available, so he feels that he's going to go with the program. He says, if it is available, I don't know what I'm going to do. What should I do? I said, do what I'm going to do. Get your ass to a meeting. That's what they used to tell me. I found out very often that just talking about it doesn't do it. You know, it might do it for normies or neurotics. I don't know. It probably helps us to a great extent, you know. But I found that most addicts are, are action people. We always wanted to go where the action was. Of course, we generally fell apart after we got there, you know. <laughs> it's like I hear so many people saying, well, I just got to get my shit together, you know. I don't know what for. We don't know what to do with it after we get it, you know. Except sit in it half the time, you know. You got to get up off your ass, get on your feet, and go do something other than what you're doing, no matter what it is. If the old fears come up. The temptations begin to beset us again, you know, because that's the way that drug addiction acts. 
addiction knows it. It's almost like a personality of its own. It attacks us from a different part every time it comes at it. Believe me, I know that over the years. It's attacked me in every way that I can think of to try to get me going again. But when I can get involved in somebody else and something else that's going on, my chances of succeeding and getting away from the old feelings, oh, 100%. That can't be any better than that. Because I found out that I grow on action and I grow on success. I don't know anybody really grows on failure, you know. Every success we have. And we are very fortunate because every day that we stay clean for 24 hours, that's a successful day. You bat a thousand when you stay clean for an hour. We have thousands of people, good people, walking the streets in this country of ours, looking for a point of perfection in their life. They're seeking all over the world for points of perfection in their lives. They want to become saints, some of them. Some want to become great leaders, you know. And you get around us, you know, and all we want to do is get through the day half the time. Yeah. <laughs> let me drag my ass through the day, you know. <coughs> and we've got all the tools to do whatever we want to do. And the greatest education that a man or a woman can get is what they get from inside themselves, from your experiences. That's the only thing we have that's really valuable to us is our past experience. Because with that past experience, good, bad, and indifferent, we can build a new life. We can help other people who want help. Yeah? We're looking for what we have. And what, the, what is that? What is it we have? It's just an opportunity. This program only really gives us an opportunity to become that which we always knew we could be. Yeah? I hear so much talk about identity around the program and other programs too. I identify with you, you know. I never knew completely why that was so, but I didn't like that particular phrase. I identify with you. It's only recently I found out. I generally use the, the phrase, uh, I recognize myself in others, you know. It seemed to make more sense to me that way. If I identify with you, it means there's something you've got that I would like to be. I'd like to emulate you in some way or become part of you in some way. You see, I don't think that's what the program is trying to tell me. I think the program is trying to tell me to become as completely myself as I can be. Because that's where I shine inside with me. When I am mostly myself, whatever that is, that I have become any one day. And I don't have to identify with you. But when I recognize myself in another, it means I recognize a similarity in us that is important to both of us. And the people up here were talking about their doubts and their fears. Well, I recognize myself in that. I've had lots of fears and lots of doubts and lots of guilt and all those other words that we throw around, you know. But when we recognize these similarities, it brings us together. I identify with you and I find out that two, two weeks from today there's a part of your character I didn't like and I drop you because of that. I've heard both of them. doesn't mean that I have to love everybody or like everybody I meet or associate with everybody I meet. I never did that anyway. I have more friends that I associate with today than I ever had. 
I'm like most most addicts. I make friends easily. But I can't keep them most of the time. I alienate them after a while, one way or another. One of our greatest defects of character. We don't hear talked about very much is the fact that we cannot build satisfactory relationships on an all-time basis. We just don't seem to be able to do it for a long time. And this is something that eats through our guts. We have all the normal things that everybody else has, the needs, the wants, desires. And yet when we look at our lives, we find out that the three main areas of life that are characterized or specified, categorized, whatever word you want to use, is in the areas of money, power, and sex. These are legitimate and legal and right satisfactions for the human being to have. There are three areas that all of us fouled up in our addiction. And it only took me about probably about six or seven years to realize that what I was looking for was not satisfaction on this program. I'd never been looking for satisfaction. I'd be confused. I'd be called it by the wrong word. I was looking for fulfillment of myself and my needs and my ideals. And my ideals had never been fulfilled all my life. And I wanted to stand alone. I wanted to be somebody, be something different from everybody else. A legitimate idea to have. And it didn't work out that way. So I became angry, resentful, fearful, guilty. And a lot of other words that I could tell you that I don't generally try to use today, you know. I had that deep hunger and a deep thirst inside me for something other than what was around me. I hated where I lived. I hated the people I saw day in and day out, yet I loved the stage. My father was an actor, entertainer. From the time I could walk, I was behind, well, even before I could walk, I was on stage. You know? And I hated even that. I hated the people in it because they seemed to be so artificial. So what do you do? You, run, you become artificial too. You put up a false front. Yeah. You hide behind a facade of some kind or another. And mine was, I don't need you, I don't want you, you can go to hell. But if you don't like it, you know what you can do. And then I ran into a lot of trouble when it came to uh, violence. And I wound up ready for this program. I was so fearful of everybody and everything. But for three years I went nowhere, including bed, without a loaded gun and a German bayon- uh, dress bayonet at my side. Because I was completely terrified and petrified to live. I wasn't afraid of dying. I was afraid to live. And I think that's what we find in this program. We are no longer afraid to live. We can meet life on its own terms. We lose a couple, we win a couple, and we grow on the ones we win. And each day we stay completely clean, we can rack up another one to our own credit. And if you have any doubts about a higher power in your own life, 
Let me say that it's not that important. It will come. See, because I'm the guy many years ago who said I couldn't take that third step properly. I had to take it in my own way. And I made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of a God that I didn't believe in, that I misunderstood, and evidently it had misunderstood me. And that's the way I took my third step for years. And the fellowship kept me going. Because we each have an individual power, a higher power, no matter what you call it, that we find in this program for ourselves alone. And that's a personal thing, very personal with me. Now, I don't go into details about it to too many people. I can if I have to. But you see, that part is unimportant as long as we have the fellowship. Because the power of the fellowship is something we all have in common. And that's the power of service to another human being. The power of service to others. And that's that little gratitude prayer that's at the back of our white book. Carrying and the sharing, the N.A. way. That's where my gratitude speaks. Don't tell me about gratitude. Who cares? You know? Show it to me. Put it into action. If you care about somebody, try to help them, whether they want it or not. If you throw it away, that's their business. You've offered it, you know? About 20 years ago, I, I had an idea one time that I thought to myself, you know, I've misunderstood what 12-step work is for a long while. I didn't quite understand it. I thought it was only when you really went out and tried to help somebody else in person. And that's not it at all. 12-step work takes part in almost everything we do. Every one of us here in this room tonight, to some degree, is working every step. Did you know that? Every step. If you sit down, I'll explain it to you sometime. I don't have time tonight. No. To some degree, we're taking every step of the 12 steps, just the steps tonight while we're here. So we're all doing and all engaged in 12-step work. And since we're doing that, the power of service, which is not the power of looking for something, not an obligation, not a credit and debit type of deal, but how freely given without control is a power greater than we are. And it helps each and every one of us. And we always have that together. Anytime we come together, we have that extra power working for us and working with it. And it penetrates everything we do. Most of the time, we talk over our head. Let's face it. That's one of the big hooks of this program. You get up here and you talk over your head. You talk about what you hope to do better. And then in self-defense, you do it. Right? Okay? <laughs> yeah, that's where it's at. Okay? Absolutely. Get them talking, get them up front, get them talking, and they'll say afterwards, Did I really say that? God. Well, I'll try it. And I'll try these steps every way, upside down, inside out, and backwards, you know, and they work. Both ways they work. I tell a story one time I was getting all dressed to go to one of my favorite meetings. You know, from that meeting, I'll tell you, it was really something. It wound up in fistfights half the time. We'd get arguing about the steps and the traditions, and somebody calls somebody a name, and all of a sudden, you thought somebody hit the floor, you know? So pick them up, you know, what happened? Jesus, I'm sorry, I, you just you burned the piss out of me. I just had to wallop you, you know? <laughs> you want to go outside? 
No, no, let's forget it. That's all right. I agree with you. I, I got. I opened my mouth too soon. You know? That's the kind of meeting it was, you know. And uh, I'm getting all dressed, and at that time I was putting my tie on, you know. I, hated, I always hated to wear ties, you know, because uh, I used to wear those, those fluffy things when I was dancing, island dancing as a kid, you know, big rough, you know. And I'm putting a tie on, and I think to myself, I'm sick and tired of the goddamn meeting. That's my favorite meeting. I'm tired of it. Every time we go down there, there's an argument. I don't want to go down there and get an argument all the time, and I can't keep my mouth shut. <laughs> or even if I'm not talking and somebody argues, I'm right in the middle of it. I never let a fight go unnoticed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Get a good close look at my face, it proves it, too. Yeah. And my body. <laughs> Hard parts of it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I thought, I don't really want to go to that meeting tonight. Now, they told me that there's, there's some of these steps will work for every kind of condition that we find ourselves in. You know? I'm having trouble. There's something in the steps someplace that will solve my problem for me. You know? And I thought, one, two, three, four. I run quick through my head. I don't get that. I run through again real quick. And it clicked at six, you know. So that's it. I said, well, I power, whoever you are, wherever you are. I am perfectly willing and ready for you to remove those defective characters from that meeting. <laughs> so we can have a nice, peaceful meeting, you know. And I went down to the meeting and they weren't there. That marvelous, you know. Pull that high, higher power really works for you sometimes. They weren't there. The meeting was beautiful. Next week I go down, it was the same. And the next week I went down, Beautiful. And the next week I went down, I thought, what was the matter with this meeting? Yeah. But I got through that one, you know, and the next week I start to go down and stand there putting my tie on. I don't want to go to that meeting. I'm going to a Sunday school picnic. They're also damn lovey-dovey that make you sick. You know, sounds like a Bible school get-together. I hear one more meeting like that, I'll puke, yeah. I'm sick and tired of hearing all this prayer, hugging, loving, meditation bit. I don't think I'll go. And I thought, well, that worked last time for me, I think I'll try it again, you know. But what stuff's going to work for me, you know? Six. And I said, six must be the one, because that's the one that worked before. Now, how far am I going to do with it this time? How am I going to word it this time? And I said, Oh, hell, I don't care, you know. I'm ready to let that ball come back. I'd rather be fighting than have what we got now, you know. And I went to the meeting and four of them were there. And we were right back to where we were before. The argument started, the fun began, and we all had a ball. Yeah, yeah they stretched our tolerance. And they stretched our understanding. And we yelled at each other, and we cussed at each other, and we called each other dirty names. You know, and after the meeting was all over, we got together, went down to the coffee shop, and sat and talked about the program. You know. Seems to be the kind of people we are. We get the blood going. I like to have a little adrenaline going, you know. Sometimes I have to get angry just to get feeling good, you know. I'm that way anyway, you know. Not as young as I used to be, you know. I can't get all the same kinds of action. 
They can't damn I try as much as I can. You know? And I'm willing to work at it. And I'm open-minded enough to think that maybe it can get better. In every department as it did previously. You know? And I still have more friends. And I have more worries. And I have more work. And I have more problems in some ways, but I can solve them. And if I can't solve them, I can at least look at them. And that's another thing about this program of life. It doesn't say that all your problems will be solved immediately or even next week. It says that we can look at our problems, even if we can't solve them. We can look at them with courage. We can look at them sometimes with serenity. We can look at them sometimes and see what they really are. And at least if we can do nothing else, we can use our, our own built-in priority system to see what's important. And what was important to me 30 years ago is still important to me today. I come first with my program. My thoughts steps in me. I come first. I come first before anybody. And after me comes my wife and my family. And after me comes my job, which happens to be the World Service Office at this time. You know? I don't make a fortune out of it. I don't even get paid. You know, That's for right and how right now. See? And after that comes other things, in order, as I see them. Sometimes I'll put one thing before another. Sometimes I'll put the office before almost everything. And sometimes I'll put something else. But nothing comes before me and my program, because without that I haven't got anything. I've got nothing to give, and I've got nothing to live for. Okay. And it is a simple program. And the simpler I keep it, the better off I am. And one thing for sure I'm glad about this program is that I didn't come here to be a saint. I didn't come here to be a guru. I didn't come here to be a teacher or a preacher. Okay? I came here to learn how to live. Okay? And that's what this program is teaching me to do. Yes, every time I take the steps and look at them again, they still appear differently to me. They're no good if you don't live them. And I'm no good if I don't live them. And sometimes I get a little away from some of them, and I forget. But you see, I do know one thing. Uh, if I ever become that, that kind of serene uh, guy that's uh, looking up to the sky with my arms folded, I'll be sort of like the, some of the saints that you see in some of the churches, you know, just kind of like Jesus Christ. <laughs> Bishop Sheen years ago said, a saint who is sad is a sad, sad saint. You know? And some of the things we've got to realize is that there's something to laugh about in this life, you know? And I'll go back to this morning when I was talking to some of these old codgers over at the barbers, you know? They were talking about the taxes and so forth, you know? And uh, and I'm just sitting there. I hadn't said a word. I was opening some of the mail and uh, doing some reading of the mail and getting things in my head, and finally I said to the, to the one guy, there was three of them, three of them sitting in a row in the barber, who was about ten years younger than I am, and one of the guys who just came in, he said, you know, there's one thing we could do in this country if we were really open-minded enough to look at everything, you know, and they all stopped talking and looked at me, you know, as if I had something to say, and, uh, and I said, you know, <clears throat> we could get rid of all these taxes and all these worries. Especially that income tax that you seem to be so worried about. But we can only find some way with all the computerization that's going on today. And all these big 
ideas that we're, we're reading about in all these big office buildings, you know. We got computers that do everything, you know. Now, if we could figure some way to invent a pedometer, <laughs> they could be fed into these computers in every locality, and they could be charged a certain fee to their output, we wouldn't need any of these other taxes. And it was a dead silence, just like this in this room right now. <laughs> hey, I've got news for you. That's part of the creative thinking this program teaches you. I was thinking of another way to do it and still enjoy part of it myself, you know? <laughs> I guess instead of income tax, maybe it could be output tax. I don't know. <laughs> something, something. I think it'd be worth looking into, don't you? <laughs> well, at least it's an idea, and I think I've, I've gotten and given you about enough ideas for tonight. Thank you. Uh -huh.